It's a, a privilege for uh, me to have the opportunity to open God's Word and to share what is on my heart and I think what's on this church's heart and our Lord's heart. I bring you greetings from believers all across Sub-Saharan Africa. I bring you greetings from those 370 missionaries. I bring you greetings from Baron and Jackie Muga, two of those missionaries, and Lauren Maluski, another missionary. We have the privilege of serving with them uh, in Nairobi. Also, all throughout this uh, auditorium, this worship center, are other missionaries that are here to share their stories with you. I bring you greetings <clears throat> on their behalf as well. Shauna and I have three adult children. <clears throat> we raise them on the mission field. Uh, they are joys to us. They all are married. We are so thankful that our son has a wonderful, godly wife, and our two daughters have godly husbands. When we were launching them back to the United States, you can imagine as we got them settled and we were leaving, we wanted to say some very important, memorable words to them. And I remember standing there going, what can I say that will help them as they launch out into adulthood? I couldn't think of anything new. I couldn't recall exactly what I should say. In reality, I realized that I had been saying it for 18 years. I had been saying it for 20 years. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Shouldn't they have already known those things which are most critical, most foundational to who we are and what they needed to be doing? I mean, after all, it's a little bit too late to tell them to take a shower every day. It's a little bit too late to tell them to uh, dress a certain way. It's a little bit too late to say, oh, by the way, did you know that I love you? Did you do you know that no matter what, I am there for you? That's the reality. Today, we are going to look at Jesus' final words to his followers. And we are going to see that his final words were but a summary. They were but a repetition of that which he had said over and over and over again. Alan Greenspan once stated, I guess I should warn you, if I turn out to be particularly clear, you've probably under misunderstood what I said. Well, that's not God the way God is. God is a master communicator. Janor, uh, uh, the Irish playwright George Bernard Shaw stated, the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it's actually taken place. Well, God is very clear in his communication to us. He has taken time, he has been consistent, and he has been declaring his message, the central thread of all of scripture since the beginning of time. Today we will see how Jesus summarizes, how he condenses the entire message of God's word into just a few words. Now, that seems like a daunting task. After all, the book, the Bible, 66 books, two testaments, it's, if you count the King James Version, it's 783,137 words. How do you summarize that? If you just took 1% of all of those words, you would have 32 single-spaced 
pages. If you just took 1%. In addition, the Bible itself says that it is but a summary. John chapter 21 verse 25 states, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not, would not contain the books which were, were written. With all of this, we might view a summary of the Bible as a daunting task. We might view it a little difficult to summarize 31,000 plus verses, but Jesus does it with three profound truths. He does it in three to four verses, and he does it in 39 words. Now, if that is the way Jesus summarized, perhaps we should lean in just a bit, get on the edge of our seat, get the cobwebs out of our head. If you're like me, you're hard-headed and you think you already know it, let's put it all aside and let's see. What is it? What is it that God wants to communicate clearly, so clearly that he has been doing it since the foundation of time? Well, that summary is found in Luke chapter 24. So before we read that, those verses, the context here is this is after the crucifixion. Jesus has lived, ministered, taught. He has been arrested, crucified, buried. He is resurrected. And it is that period of time after his resurrection when he is meeting with his followers. He is teaching them, correcting them, forgiving them and repeating things to them that he wants them to remember. Now, by this time in, in Luke 24, verse 44, Jesus is not just an incredible teacher. He is not only an amazing prophet. No, this is the resurrected Christ. This is the Messiah. So as he is teaching, this is who we are realizing and, and, and see that who he is. Jesus recognizes that his ascension, his departure is near. And so he is preparing his followers. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that Christ appeared to more than 500 people during these days leading up to his ascension. As we look at what he spoke about throughout that, we see a fairly a consistent message that brings us to today's text. Luke 24, 45 through 49, four verses, 39 words. Let's stand in honor of these words and remember them. Luke 24, 46 through 48. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Father, may we, just like these disciples, have our mind open to these scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Then he opened their minds to the scriptures. 
This is the second time we see this idea in the 24th chapter of Luke. Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and he meets up with two men and he uses this same term in verse 27. We see Jesus walking and he says, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained the things concerning himself in the scriptures. Then again in Luke 24, 44, he says the, the same thing. All the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, the scripture, what is he referring to? Well, he tells us that it's about the law of Moses. It's about the Psalms, the writings. He's going back to the prophets. And he is summarizing, he is giving an outline of what we call today the Old Testament. The Pentateuch, that's the law of Moses. You have the historical books. Then you have the, 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 the uh, po poems, the poetic, the wisdom writings, the Psalms, the Proverbs. Then you have the prophets. Jesus is saying this message has been declared in, throughout the Old Testament because this is something we need to remember. These 39 words capture the main points of all Scripture. Well, let's look at that. That the Christ should suffer and rise again. This is the power of the resurrection. It's the power of the resurrection. And then in that, those verses it says, and that repentance of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is the proclamation of repentance to all nations. This must happen. And you, you, me, we are witnesses of these things. The Lord has chosen to allow us to have the privilege of being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That is encouraging. Now, if these truths have been proclaimed in the prophets, have been proclaimed throughout Psalms, throughout the writings, being proclaimed throughout the law, shall we look and see if this is true? Well, going back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I start here because we need to recognize that God has created all the earth. All the earth. Our God is not a foreign God anywhere on the, this planet. It is the Hindu gods that are the foreign gods. It is the ancestral spirits of animism. They are the foreign gods. It is the God of Islam. They are the, that is the foreign God. Our God, he created heaven and earth. He created Memphis. He created Tennessee. He created every corner of the earth. And that is where we want his name to be praised. Every square inch. In Genesis chapter 3:15, we see the first reference to the power of the resurrection. Genesis 3:15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This verse has been referred to throughout Christian tradition as the first gospel. This is the proto-evangelium. 
In this verse, early in human history, we see the first reference of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. We see two wounds, a bruised heel and a bruised head. Two wounds, different and have very different consequences. The first bruise is that of the bruised heel. This refers to the crucifixion, the crucifixion of Christ. The bruised heel will heal. The bruised head refers to the resurrection. The resurrection of Christ was a bruise to the head of sin. It was the bruise to the head of death, and it will not heal. It is a bruise to the head. This proto-evangelium, this first reference of the gospel, Luke 24, Jesus' words, referring all the way back to these words going throughout the law, throughout the Old Testament. But if we go a little bit back further, we not only see the first gospel, we see the first command. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. God's instruction was for the people to scatter throughout and around the world. That was his plan. His plan was for people to fill the earth. Well, by the time we get to Genesis 11, we see the adverse effects of sin. We see anger. We see murder. We see pain and so much more. We see men and women wanting to glorify themselves, wanting to highlight their oneness, and they're trying to stay together. They're disobeying the command to be scattered. And so they want to build a city. They want to build that tower, the Tower of Babel, to all stay together. Well, God's plan will not be thwarted. He wants his name known throughout every corner because he created all the earth. And so he scatters the people, confuses their language, and we see them scattered throughout the earth. By the end of chapter 11 of Genesis, we see chaos. We see confusion. We see the effects of sin. Well, when Genesis chapter 12 opens up, the word of God makes waste no time declaring that through Abraham, he will bless the nations. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation. Look at the last part. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There it is. God's plan scattered the people, every corner of the earth, the bruised head, the bruised heel. His plan is to make his name known among all the nations. He is going to bless the nations. From the very beginning, his plan was to bless the nations. Well, as we, uh, Abram had sons. This same promise was given to Isaac and Jacob. Uh, in Genesis 26, 3 through 4, we see that God says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. 
I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. Just a couple of weeks ago, Shauna and I had the opportunity to go to a country in Central Africa. We were a good day's drive from any electricity. Now, why that's important is because when you're a day's way away from electricity, it is very dark at night. But when it is dark at night, the stars were shining brightly. And I remember looking up going, those stars, God had this people group on his mind when he made this statement. When he said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, he was thinking about this people group. He was thinking about the very people group we were there to engage with the gospel. Oh, the numbers of people groups that will be represented around that throne will be every. It will be all, and it will be a multitude from all. Well, we see this same idea communicated two more times to Abraham and to Jacob. Now, in Genesis 15 and 5 and Genesis 22, 15 through 18, you may just want to write those down. Go back and look at them later. I don't have time to go through all the verses. But look at those verses. And then to Jacob, God says, your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. I don't know about if you know this or not, but everywhere around the world there is dust. Now, America has less dust because you have pavement and you've got grass. But in this particular place, there was dust. And when God said these words, he had that young lady that was on that, the screen just a moment ago. He had her people in mind. Well, as we uh, were visiting that country in uh, Central Africa, as the sun would set, you could just see the dust and the colors of the sun coming through. And it made me remember this verse. Your descendants shall be like the dust of the earth. Oh, God wants his people all around the earth to know this message. As we look at how God has summarized all of Scripture, as we see how Jesus summarizes it in Luke 24, we see that he is spot on. But what about the Psalms? Do we see this same thread throughout the Psalms? And we could look at so many more verses throughout the, the law, but we just don't have time. But Psalms chapter 67, verses 2 through, two, two through 3, thy salvation among all nations. His salvation the power of the resurrection made known to all nations. Psalms 97.5, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. Psalm 47.7, for God is king of all the earth. 96.1 through 3, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all peoples. Oh, friends, take time this week to reflect on these and other verses throughout the Psalms that point to our great Savior, the very Savior that wants to be known in every corner of the earth. <clears throat> well, what about the prophets? Jesus said he was also, point, the, uh, his name was known throughout the prophets. <clears throat> well, Isaiah 25, 6 through 7, 
Isaiah talks about the Lord preparing a lavish banquet for all the peoples. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the different verses being, the different uh, tran- uh, uh, languages being sung, I, it warms my heart. But to think about all the different foods from around the world, well, sometimes I get excited, but other times I'm like, ah, I don't know about that food. We raided a restaurant uh, last week called The Local Goat. I've never had good goat. Well, this restaurant called The Local Goat did not have goat on the menu. I'm not sure if goat will be at that lavish banquet, but I promise you Memphis barbecue will be there. <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you which restaurant that serves Memphis barbecue is the, my favorite because I think that would divide the, the uh, audience here today. There'll be lots of good food at this banquet. There will be lots of celebration at this banquet. Well, Psalms 54, two through three. I love this verse because it's telling us to get ready. It says, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Spare not, lengthen your cords, uh, lengthen your cords, strengthen your pegs, for you will spread abroad to the right and to the left and your descendants will possess the nations and they will resettle the desolate cities. Oh, this is a grand, big church. But God is saying his plan, we're going to have to stretch it. We're going to have to make it bigger. We're going to have to secure the, the, the strength of those cords for God wants all peoples, all nations, every tribe, every language to know and worship him. Isaiah 49, uh, five through six. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord. My God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing. Friends, if your life is about anything less than all peoples, all nations, every tribe, every language. If this church is not about all peoples, all nations, all tribes, we see in Isaiah, it is too small a thing. The prophet Isaiah declares that there is a suffering servant who is coming willingly to give his life for the sins of the world so that all tribes, all nations, all languages will know and be, have uh, opportunity to worship him. Anything less. Oh, it's too small of a thing. Jesus is more than a great teacher. He is more than an amazing prophet. He is savior of all the world, all the earth. Anything less that we give our lives to is too small a thing. Well, we know Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It is known as the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to uh, follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But perhaps the 
Great Commission could also be referred to as the Great Reminder. Because God has been saying these very things since the beginning of time. He has been pointing us to that worship service around the throne of the Lamb where a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language are worshiping Him. At the International Mission Board, for almost 180 years, we have existed to address the world's greatest problem. The world's greatest problem is the problem of lostness. And our vision clearly summarizes what all of Scripture has been pointing us to. Our vision is a multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language knowing and worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that vision, it is not too small a thing. It is not too small a thing. You know, I was confronted with this vision as a college student. I was getting a degree in business, kind of had my life planned out, thought I would graduate, maybe start a business, maybe get a job in business, hopefully get married. I was confronted with this vision. I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew this. Whatever job I had, whatever money I made, whatever time I spent, whatever I was going to do, I knew that my life had to be about this. You see, all of us, this needs to be what our life is about. Not just the missionaries that are going overseas, but all of us, just as Pastor said, we all are missionaries. As I wrestled with this, I knew that whether I worked in a business or whatever I did, I had to give my life to this. There was an opportunity to go serve on a small island off the coast of Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. And so I was there for about two and a half months. And one day I was walking down the streets. It was raining and across the street were a few young men and they offered to share their umbrella with me. And so as we got to know each other, I shared the gospel with them. These men, my age, they liked sports, I liked sports, had similarities but also many differences. And as I shared the name of Jesus with them, they had no idea who he was. They had never heard his name before. I think that day I looked into the eyes of lostness, maybe for the first time, and I realized God was calling me to give my life, not, on, not as business a man anymore, but I was to go to the nations and make his known, make name known in those places where lostness exists. We know that lostness exists, exists everywhere. So as we look at Luke 24, 48, we are all witnesses of these things. These statements are for you. They are for me. Whether you're an engineer, a lawyer, a plumber, a, a welder, a homemaker, businessman, whatever, these words are for you. Bellevue Church, why has God been so careful taken so much time, the Bible was written over the course of 1,600 years, taken so much time to careful, to carefully, with precision, to make sure this message was communicated. Well, there, it comes down to this. There are two types of people in this world. There are two types of people in this world. 
There are saved, and the saved, this is our vision. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is our vision. This is what God is directing us to. You have the opportunity to be a part of introducing unreached, unengaged people groups to Christ. You have that opportunity from right here at Bellevue Baptist Church. Saved people, this is our vision. Their other type of person is lost. They're lost and saved. The lost, they are searching. They are trying to figure out how to fill that void that's in their life. God knows that the only thing that will fill that void is the one who created every square inch of this earth. It is only Jesus who will fill the void in that person that is looking for significance, that person that is looking for money, that, looking, that person that is trying to fill that void with alcohol or this world or whatever they're filling it with. The lost need to know they need to know that there is the power of the resurrection offered to them. This is the message that God has given us. Well, as you think about your part in that, the International Mission Board suggests you think about four ways to get involved in this vision. To pray, to give, go, and send. It has been said that prayer is the work of missions. At the IMB, we have seen how lostness is addressed when people like you pray. We also need to give. Missions is no different than anything else. Go to the grocery store, go to the gas station, go do anything. You gotta, it costs money. Missions costs money. The, the trip that I shared with earlier into Central Africa, Sean and I went, cost us about $12,000. But through that, 13 women who were Muslim, turned and professed Christ. It is worth it. It is worth it. Regardless of your occupation, regardless of your hobbies, regardless of where you live, you have the opportunity to engage lostness by praying and giving. But there's also opportunities to go and to send. The biblical model to address the world's greatest problem of lostness is establishing a presence of witnesses among the lost with a clear purpose of understanding the people's language and cultures that you were working among. At the International Mission Board, we are sending missionaries to the ends of the earth. The doors are open. We are eager to talk with you about how you can go short-term, one to eight weeks, Midterm, two months to three, uh, to three years, and long-term, three years. If you have any questions about how to pray, give, go, send, right out these doors, there are booths set up. The IMB, the International Mission Board, has a booth. Ciara LaRue is there along with the Roy family and others that would love to talk to you about how you can pray for missionaries, how you can pray for the unreached, unengaged, how you can give how you can go. You know, when people pray, give, and go, it makes it possible for people like this to come to know Christ. This past Easter in Togo, they celebrated the resurrection of Jesus by baptizing one of the 
area's most well-known witch doctors. And the thing is, he was led to Christ by a man who was a practitioner of voodoo. This, this witch doctor, he gathered all of his charms. He gathered all of the things that he used to, to, uh, in his witchcraft for power, for money. He gathered them all. And after making a decision to follow Jesus, he piled them up and burned them. He was turning away from that witchcraft and trusting in Christ Jesus. How, how will, how then are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? Stories like this are possible because people like you pray. They give, they go, and they send. We do this because, as Robertson McQuilkin stated, it is not too much to affirm that every act of God since creation has been a missionary act. What you and I do needs to follow suit. Our God is a global God. He loves the nations. Bellevue, thank you for loving the nations. Thank you for the way you serve to engage the nations. But I am sure some here today, you're recognizing that, you know, I need to take a step. Take a step towards your, in your relationship with Christ. Many of you are followers with Christ. And you see that our God is a global God. You, that, that means that you want to take a step to have a global vision. Put action behind that vision. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. In fact, we'll, if, we'll start now as people come to sing. And you begin to think, what step does God want me to take? What step does God want me to take? He is a God with a global vision. So what is the step that I need to take to have a bigger, larger global vision? Is it praying? I need to pray specifically. I need to pray more carefully. Is it giving? Is it going? Is it sending? What is God calling you to do to engage in that global vision? What is your next step?